Welcome to the CJC Weekly Bible Study, where CJC stands for Complete Jesus Christ. If your perspective of Jesus is based only on teachings from the New Testament, then your understanding is incomplete. Regarding what we often call the Old Testament, Jesus himself said, These are the very scriptures that testify about me. So won't you join us today in our study where we esteem the newer and the older testaments alike. I'm your host, Jeff Smith, and currently we're working our way verse by verse through the first book of the Bible, Genesis. begin where we left off then. We're going to be in Genesis. Genesis is the first book of the Bible. There are 66 books of the Bible. It's it's made up of a collection of uh, small and large books, and uh, we're going to be looking at Genesis today. If you don't have a Bible, you're welcome to use these. These are just loaners that we have out on the table, or you're welcome to use your phone. So Genesis is the first book of the Bible. We're going to be in chapter 35. We're going to probably finish up chapter 35 today. The book of, the, of Genesis is broken up into 50 chapters, and so we're, what is that, two-thirds of the way through somewhere. Uh, so we're making our way through the book of Genesis, chapter 35, and we got through the first half of verse 22 last time. So this is how we do it. We basically just move verse by verse by verse, and however far we get, that's how far we get, and we pick up next week wherever we left off. So we're going to be looking at the second half of verse 22, and then we're going to, you know, God willing, get through the end of the chapter today. So looking at verse 22, picking up at the second half, it says this, Now the sons of Jacob were twelve. And what we're about to read is a list of the twelve sons of Jacob. You'll remember last week we looked at the birth of Benjamin. (coughs) Benjamin was the twelfth son to be born to Jacob. And so this is a list of the twelve, but I should caution you that the list is not arranged in the chronology of their birth. All right? Uh, So here we go, jumping right in. Verse 23, somebody... uh, well, I, I never like to inflict people with verses that have names in it because it's always kind of tricky. So I'll go ahead and read it. Verse 23 says this. The sons of Leah were Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, and Simeon, Levi, Judah. And those first four names right there are actually the first four in birth order. But we have two more names attached to that. Issachar and Zebulun. Issachar and Zebulun were born to Leah, but they were born later. So now we've blown the whole chronology of the birth order. All right? But these are actually the sons that were born to that particular woman. Leah was not the woman that Jacob was hoping to marry. Leah is the less uh, desirable uh, sister of Rachel. <laughs> All right, And uh, he got tricked by his father-in-law into marrying Leah first. And then he ended up being able to marry Rachel next. Verse 24 is Rachel and the sons born to her. The sons of Rachel were Joseph and Benjamin. And again, speaking about the birth order, these two were last. All right, Joseph was number 11. Benjamin was number 12 when it comes to sons. And then verse 25, the sons of Bilhah, Rachel's maidservant, were Dan and Naphtali, and then verse 26, and the sons of Zilpah, Leah's maidservant, were Gad and Asher. These were the sons of Jacob who were born to him in Padanaram. Now that statement there, these were the sons that were born to him in Padanaram, it's not without exception, obviously, because we saw that Benjamin was born not in Padanaram, he was born in the Promised Land. So in a general way, that statement uh, applies to those sons. Most of them, uh, 11 twelfths of the family concerning the sons, were born in Padanaram, Benjamin being the exception. Verse 27 there, somebody, well, that actually has some more names in it. They're kind of tricky. I'll go ahead and read that too. Then Jacob came to his father Isaac. Actually, I'm going to stop right there. Why am I stopping there? Some of you that have been with us for the last several months probably can figure out why I'm stopping there. 
Because he'd been away. Because he's been away for a long, long time. This is not a weekend visit. <laughs> this has been multiple decades. It's been at least 20 years since he's seen his dad. And this is the reunion. He's getting back to see his dad. This verse is the first record we have of him seeing his dad since he left so long ago. Verse 27, Then Jacob came to his father, Isaac, at Mamre, or Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac had sojourned. And then verse 28, and I personally believe there's a gap in time between verses 27 and 28. Verse 28 says this, Now the days of Isaac were 180 years, and if you've been with us for any length of time, you know that this is a formula that the next verse is going to say he died. <laughs> All right? So we're reading the wording that we recognize, oh dear, he's going to die. And sure enough, verse 29 so Isaac breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people, being old and full of days, and his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. So like I said, I believe there's a gap between verses 27 and 28. I don't know of how long. But I can tell you this. We know he was gone at least 20 years. But dad doesn't die until 43 years after Jacob left. So what do we have there? We have a missing 23 years somewhere. Where is that 23 years? Well, it could be between verses 27 and 28, or some of that could have been taken up with Jacob's traveling to get back. See, Jacob had been gone 20 years from his mom and his dad over in Padanaram when it was time to leave, when it was time to come back. But he's not getting on a jet plane when it was time to get back. It takes some time. At a minimum, it's going to take several months. So him coming back to the promised land, that's going to take some time. But once you remember, he got to the promised land, you remember he met his brother. And that was not something he was looking forward to, but he went forward with it anyway. He gets to see his brother. That actually worked out well. Thank you, God, I am not dead because my brother wanted to kill me the last time he saw me. All right. So he ends up coming back to the land. And then his brother was like, hey, let's go this way and and he said no thank you very much we're going to move slow we got a lot of weak flocks right now we got some you know children that are very young uh you go on ahead and so there was a statement that Esau was going to go on ahead and move at his own pace and Jacob at a much slower pace was going to move but was the pace so slow that it takes him 23 years to get to see dad again I don't think so I think he actually ended up moving at a slow pace we do read in different places he ends up settling in different places on his way but finally he gets to see dad and i gotta hope that he saw dad more than just a few days or a few weeks or even a few years i gotta hope that maybe he was able to see his dad uh well before dad ended up passing away so at the most he would have seen his dad for 23 years at the least who knows you know so uh, like i said i think there's a gap there between when he gets to see his dad in verse 27 and then the announcement that dad's passing away in verses 28 29 and so today's study i've actually titled celebration of life for isaac all right so a celebration of life is usually a service that you have for somebody that's recently passed away and usually you call it a celebration of life if it's somebody that you trusted was walking with god you know usually uh, i've seen exceptions to that and so what I'd like to do is kind of handle the rest of this time sort of as a celebration of life. So thank you all for joining us today in the celebration of life. I'd like to invite everyone to come in and find a seat. Uh, I'm, actually, I'm sorry, we're out here in the sun. So uh, if you need a place to sit in the shade, uh, there's a tree over there. And uh, go ahead and uh, 
If you can make room for the ladies under the tree, please. Thank mm-hmm. you. Thank you. And and if you need some more places to sit, I can see up here by the bushes up here. We got a couple extra seats, and then we've got a few other seats over here by this rock. So I'd like to thank you for joining us today for this celebration of life that we have for the, one of the great patriarchs for Isaac. And uh, without taking any more time, I'd actually like to defer and invite our first speaker out to speak in this celebration of life. So if you'll be bear with me for just a moment. Watching too many movies. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Where am I? <laughs> well, folks, I had, I'd like to thank you for joining us today at this celebration of life for Isaac. I, uh, oh, I should introduce myself. Uh, my name. My well, my <laughs> my name doesn't matter. I I'm actually just a very old servant, and, and and I stand before you today as just somebody that has been a part of this family for a very long time. Uh, you see, I am actually ten years older than Isaac was. I was born ten years before him, and about four years after his older brother Ishmael. I was born to a servant family in the family of Abraham. And I have been told many stories by my parents before I was old enough to, well, experience the stories for myself. It's been a rather adventurous time being with this family. (laughs) I should say that I heard from my parents They were the ones who first told me about the call of God on on Master Abraham. And I have to tell you, or perhaps I don't, because most of you are actually aware, that when I say God called Abraham, what I mean by that is that this family has something very special going on with God. Uh, As you know, the people all around here, and in fact, the people from the land where my parents came, when they came with Master Abraham, believe in many gods. But this family, and my parents as well, and me as well, have come to the conclusion that there is only one God. And this family, like I said, has a good relationship with that God. So as I was saying, I had heard the story that God had called Master Abraham to leave the land that he was so familiar with, with his wife and and servants, including my parents, and to come to this land where we are now. And and they did. And I, I think that was quite a move for them to come all this way. And my parents told me, It was rather unsettling to leave where they were so familiar, but they were with this family, so they went with this family to this land. Well, as time went by, I was born, and as I was born, I got to grow up in this family, and I remember when I was nine years old that there was quite an episode that happened in this family. You see, God had appeared Master Abraham again. And God had told Master Abraham 
that his wife, Sarah, was going to have a son. Well, I should probably clarify a little bit. You see, Master Abraham at that time was Abram, and Mistress Sarah was actually Sarai. And when God brought this news, part of the appearance of God was a name change for Abram to Abraham, and and from Sarai to Sarah. And another part of that was that God wanted to make a covenant with this family. As I mentioned, my parents had told me about the first appearance of God. That first appearance of God was a promise to Abraham that God would be with him and that God would provide many descendants and that the whole earth would be blessed through this family. And I can tell you, I am a beneficiary of that. Well, in this second appearance, when I was nine years old, when I'm talking about the promise of a son to be born to Sarah, well, it was received, well, I should say, by Master Abraham with laughter. Uh, Master Abraham did laugh. You see, he was always good about telling all of us the stories of what God was doing in the family. And we heard the story as well that he laughed. And he also was concerned, you see, because at that time he had a 13-year-old boy named Ishmael. And he asked God, what about Ishmael? And God had told him that God would take care of Ishmael, but what God intended to do wasn't going to be through Ishmael. It was going to be through Isaac, who we are here today to honor. And so it was received joyfully, but like I said, with laughter, and that actually ended up becoming his name. And the funny part is... God picked the name. God was the one who said to Master Abraham, you're to name your boy Isaac. Well, uh, there was another part of that covenant, uh, that agreement, that uh, treaty with God. And God had said that uh, you're to circumcise yourself and your sons. And, well, everybody that was part of the family, including the servants. And so I can tell you from firsthand knowledge that <laughs> that decision made a mark on me. <laughs> but uh, uh, I'm okay with that now because I consider it a small price to pay to be associated with this family through whom so many blessings have come. Well, as time went on, Sarah began to show... There was an exciting expectation, joy in the camp, for the most part. But there was a little bit of concern, because there was already another boy, and it wasn't by Sarah, it was actually by Hagar. Uh, the birth of Isaac, it, it came and was a, a, quite an event, and, and mom, the, Sarah, Mistress Sarah, Isaac's mom, uh, invited everyone to laugh with her, and she followed through with God's instructions to name the boy Isaac. So the boy was named Isaac, and she, she laughed in joy. I can tell you about another incident that happened. It actually happened before Isaac was born. It was, it was a visit of three strangers who came, and, and Master Abraham had already seen the vision from God, so he had already heard from God that Sarah was to have a son, 
Well, when the three strangers showed up, they gave the same news. They said, should we tell Master Abraham what is going to happen? And, and they decided to say, your wife is going to have a son. The funny part about that was Sarah was behind the tin flap when that happened, and she had laughed as well. So both of parents laughed before Isaac was born, and I'm sure from personal experience that they both laughed after he was born. But there were sad episodes, too. There was the day that there was a celebration for Isaac. He was being weaned, and, and this was the celebration that that had succeeded. But at the celebration, well, Ishmael, apparently he had made fun of Isaac, and uh, Mr. Sarah was not at all happy about that. And she made sure to tell her husband that Hagar and Ishmael were to be gone. Well, I have to say, Abraham was concerned about that. But God had apparently appeared to him again and told him that God would take care of the lad and his mom. And so, when Master Abraham gave them a small amount of supplies and sent them on their way, you can tell there was concern on his face, but you could tell that he trusted God as well. And I'm sure most of you here have actually heard that God has followed through with that and has taken care of, of Hagar and, and Ishmael. I, I would like to tell you another story. This other story, has, it, it, it happened one evening when Master Abraham came to me and another servant along with me and told us to be ready to go the next morning on a, on a somewhat long journey. It was to be a, at least a week, if not more. It turned out to be a little bit more than a week, but we went to bed and packed our things to be ready in the morning. When I woke up in the morning, it was a strange, it was a strange feeling to, to come out of my tent preparing to leave and to see Master Abraham chopping the wood. I have to admit that that was startling to me because I am the servant. I should be chopping the wood. And so I went to him and said, shouldn't I be chopping the wood? And he said, no, he insisted he would do it. And then we bound the wood to the donkey. And Master Abraham gave me a very large knife to bring. And he gave my fellow servant the fire. And uh, so we recognized we were going to make a sacrifice somewhere. And then just as we were ready to leave camp, Master Abraham went and uh, next thing I saw, Isaac was coming along with us. And I thought, this is rather adventurous because Master Abraham is going to be showing Master Isaac how to make a sacrifice. And so we began our journey and when we were three days into it, Master Abraham seemed to get excited and I should probably say that up until that point, he was not so excited. He, he looked as if somebody dear to him had died. Well, when we got to the place three days in, he said to me and the other servant, you wait here, and the boy and I will go and worship God, and when we are done, we will come back to you. And... So he took the wood, he untied the wood from the donkey, and I stepped forward to gather the wood, but no, he gave it to Master Isaac. And he asked of me the knife, and he required the fire of my fellow servant, and, and they went up the mountain to worship God. I remember thinking to myself, that's odd that they are going up to worship God without an actual sacrifice, 
And we talked briefly about that one to another now that we were alone without having to be heard by Master Abraham or Isaac. But I have to tell you, something happened that day. And when they came back from worshiping God on the mountain, they were both changed. Master Abraham was no longer mourning why he looked like he was filled with joy. And Master Isaac, well, he had gone up that mountain as a lad, but he had somehow come back down the mountain as a man. He seemed to have matured an awful lot while he had been up there on the mountain. And it was that day, probably, that I think I could point to and say, that's when I began to see Master Isaac grow to love the Lord his God with all of his heart. Another incident soon after this, Mistress Sarah passed away, and Master Abraham took it in stride, but it was difficult, of course, and I have to say, though, Master Isaac took it especially hard for his mother to have passed away, and it wasn't too long after that that the chief servant in the house came to me and said Master Abraham had commissioned him to go on a long journey to find a bride for Master Isaac. I was thrilled at another opportunity to go on a field trip, but I had no idea it was going to take quite as long as it did. We went to Padanaram, which is the ancient household and area where Master Abraham and Sarah had come from. And Eliezer, the chief servant in charge of this convoy of ten camels loaded with treasures, he would talk to us in the evenings as we progressed. Took us about a month to get there. I have to tell you, I was sore by the time we arrived. (laughs) But when we got there, Master Eliezer began to pray. And the interesting thing is, he began to pray out loud. I heard him praying. And he prayed something like this. He prayed that God would make the journey fruitful and that we would be able to find a bride for Master Isaac. And that... uh, that the way he would be able to find that this was the right person is that he was hoping God would honor his request, that he would be able to approach a woman coming out to the well to get water, and that he would ask her for a drink, and she would agree, and then she would offer to water the camels also. And I thought to myself, hearing this prayer, that's ridiculous. (laughs) Who would do that? Ten camels, after a long journey through the desert, drink an awful lot of water. That... That's not something I could imagine anybody voluntarily uh, offering to do. But before he was even done praying, a very beautiful woman came out to the well. A young lady, really. And she came to the well, and Eliezer approached her and asked her for a drink. And I thought to myself, the first one? You're just going to ask the first one? But what was I to do? I wasn't in charge. And he approached the woman and asked her for a drink, and she agreed. And that got my attention. And then she volunteered to get water for all of the camels. To say I was surprised, well, 
It was quite surprising, and I could even see on Eliezer's face that he too was pleased and surprised. And well, he offered her some gifts, and she ran off. And the next thing I know, we're at the house of this beautiful woman, arranging for her to be the wife of Master Isaac. I can tell you that the family, after hearing how God had watched over this family and how God had led us on our journey and answered the very specific prayer of Eliezer, that they came to the conclusion that this was all of God and what could they do to stand in the way. And it came down to whether or not she was to leave with us right away or their preference was that she would wait around for 10 days you know, to wrap things up and say goodbye and whatnot. And I tell you, like I said, I was pretty sore from the journey, so 10 days sounded really good to me to rest for a little bit, but it didn't turn out that way. We ended up getting back on the road very soon. I can tell you her name was Becca, and she was very beautiful, as I've mentioned, and would make a great bride for Isaac. Perhaps I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. But as we were coming back home, I do remember looking out into the fields that I was so familiar with, recognizing we were drawing close to where we had started from, and I saw Master Isaac in the field as the day was getting late, and I recognized what was going on because I had seen it before we left. He liked to go into the field in his sorrow over the passing of his mother. And as we approached, he saw us and got up to come near, and Rebecca saw him and asked Eliezer, who is that man? And he said, that is Isaac. And she covered her face. And even with her face covered, I can tell you, I saw it was love at first sight. They were married soon after that. But they didn't have children right away. You see, Rebecca, like her mother-in-law, was barren. And Master Isaac prayed for Rebecca that God would bless her and enable her to become pregnant. But it took 20 years. And in those 20 years that Master Isaac was praying for his wife, I saw him pour his soul out to God. He loved the Lord his God with all of his soul, and it came out in those prayers for his wife. Well, when she did finally become pregnant, it was quite a thing. It was quite a stir in the camp. And then what ended up happening, though, is that Rebecca felt like there was a battle going inside her womb. And she asked God, God, if this is the case, why am I feeling this way? And God had told her that there were two babies in her womb, boys, and they would each become representative of nations and people groups. Well, the time came for the boys to be born. And I got to tell you, she was ready for that day. <laughs> but when she finally started to give birth, it wasn't easy. And uh, she ended up having her firstborn, a red, hairy little baby. <laughs> Esau was born, but it was strange that as he was being born, the second baby in the womb was holding on to the heel of the first one. And it, it was interesting to see how that actually continued on through life. They named that second boy Jacob. And so there was Esau, the firstborn, the red hairy baby. <laughs> and the secondborn was, was Jacob, the heel grabber 
uh, I know that name. You're used to hearing that name as meaning deceiver, but it was originally intended to be heel grabber. Well, I suppose I could continue to talk for many days about the wonder of God and this family and, well, the good and the bad, but I've tried to keep it just to the good. Um, but I probably shouldn't take any more time. I should probably now defer to our next speaker. Just a moment. Hey everybody. Thank you for being here today. No pictures, please. I, uh, thank you for coming out to the celebration of life for my dad. And You know, my dad, he was a good guy. I think my hair's in my eyes. I've, I've always had a lot of hair, but uh, the red has kind of gone out of it a little bit. But my dad was a good dad. He took good care of us. And he made sure that I learned how to how to hunt and how to fish and how to be a man of the outdoors like any dad should do for his boys. And uh, I really appreciated that he showed me how to provide for my family and I could bring home the, the food like you, nobody's business. And my dad loved when I brought home something cooked for him. He, he always got excited about that. That's one of the fond memories I have of my dad. You know, I had a real special relationship with my dad. You know, it went beyond just the the hunting and, you know, the fishing and the other outdoor kind of stuff that you do with a dad. I suppose if I had to pick the one thing that I was most grateful for with my dad and being in my life, it was that he told us stories. And I should say that when I say stories, I don't mean fairy tales and I don't mean myths and fables. What I mean is... He told us the stories of God. He told us the stories of God's goodness. He told us the stories of God being the creator of the heavens and the earth and how God created all of this in six days. He told us the story of the garden. And he told us the story of Adam and Eve. He told us the story of the serpent in the garden and, and the fall of man. He told us the stories of Cain and Abel. He told us the stories of the rise of wickedness in the land. And he told us the stories of God calling Noah. He told us the stories of the rain and the flood. He told us the stories about what the people were like after the flood and the Tower of Babel and how it almost didn't seem to make a difference that people just seemed to be as bad afterwards as they were before, but that God was always good before and after and even now. He made sure to tell us those stories. He told us the stories of the call of Grandpa Abraham. And right up to the present day, you've heard the first speaker tell you about some of the stories up to the present. And I just have to say, my dad worked hard to tell us the stories. He fit them in any time he could. I got to tell you, my dad would tell the stories when we were just sitting in the house. My dad would tell the stories when we were walking along the path. My dad would tell the stories when it was time to go to bed at night. And he would tell the stories of, of these things when it was time to get up in the morning. 
And I got to tell you, it made a difference in my life. I'm kind of thick-headed. I don't get everything the first time, but, well, he told us enough times that I started to understand. And, you know, I've, I've made some foolish mistakes in my day, but it was nice to know the stories. It was nice to know that there really is a God. It was nice to know that he pays attention. It was nice to know that he doesn't just blast us when we make a mistake. It was nice to know the truth, and I'm especially grateful that my dad made sure to tell us the stories even more than anything else he ever done. Uh, I'm not a man of many words, and I suppose that's all I've got. And so what I'd like to do is defer now to, to my brother. Thank you. <laughs> Well, I'd like to thank you for coming today. I don't have the cane because I'm old. Well, I am old. We both are. My brother and I were old. But I have the cane because of, a, well, God touched my hip one time. That's a long story. It's not about me today. I'm going to talk about my dad. Uh, my name is Israel, and uh, most of you actually probably know me as Jacob. Um, but uh, I recently had a name change, but I was born as Jacob. I was born as the one who grabs the heel. You know, my brother had a special relationship with my dad that I didn't have. They seemed to have an especially tight bond, the two of them. I was, I was closer to my mom, and uh, well, I suppose I suppose that didn't help much. But I'll tell you this: if I could tell you any stories, I would start with this one. You see, there was a time I remember we're living with my dad and. And we were grown adults, but uh, there was a famine in the land. And it got to where there wasn't enough food for all of us. And the weight of the world seemed to be on my dad's shoulders. He had to decide what to do because he was in charge of all of us, you know. And so my dad decided we needed to either go to Gerar or go to Egypt. And God had actually talked to him and told him not to go to Egypt. And so we went to a place called Gerar. That's where the Philistines lived. And so we moved to Gerar. And, and uh, well, while we were in Gerar, we became friends. My dad became friends with a, a man named Abimelech. He was the king of, of Gerar. And uh, things started off well enough. But, uh, you know, the relationship deteriorated over something or another. Uh, so we ended up moving out of the city. We didn't stay in the city. We moved out because of that deteriorating relationship, you know. Well, as we moved out of the city, we we had to dig wells because we have a lot of mouths to, you know, provide water for. It takes a lot of water to, you know, supply all of us. And I got to tell you, in the midst of that famine, my dad planted a crop. And in the midst of a famine, God made that crop produce a hundredfold a hundred times in the middle of a famine who's ever heard of such a thing it was clear God was taking care of us 
and uh, we needed wells, like I said, and we went to many of the wells that Grandpa Abraham had dug, and it was one disappointment after another to find the wells had been filled in with earth and rock from our neighbors, the people around us, the people living in the land. And so I was, I guess, you know, being younger, I was pretty upset about this. And, you know, we were pretty strong as a people group. In fact, we were so strong that Abimelech came to us and he said to my dad, he says, you're too powerful. You need to get yourself even further away because you're so powerful. We had that many people. We had that many trained servants. We could have gone to war over those wells. Mm -hmm. and, and if you had asked me if I was in charge at that time, I would have said, let's do it. I would have said, let's go to war over these wells. But my dad didn't do that. He chose a way of peace. And so we would move. And there would be another issue over the wells. And we would move again. And again, it'd be over the wells. And I was like, Dad, what are we doing? We have enough people. We can take care of these neighbors. And you know what he said to me? He said to me, I feel like God is wanting us to love our neighbor as ourself. And I thought, that's weird. That's not what I would have thought. But, you know, it's my dad. I defer to my dad. And we finally moved to a place where we dug a well, and there wasn't any fighting over it. Finally, we found a place where we could dig a well and have enough water for everybody. But along comes Abimelech with the commander of his army and, and with a third guy. I can't even remember his name. It was a weird name to pronounce. But the three of them showed up one day. These were people that, if I could say any of our neighbors were enemies, it was these guys. I mean, this is the king who told us to get away, right? He was the one who told us to leave. He was the one who was so concerned about us being more powerful. And they came to my dad, and, and my dad met them outside his tent. And I remember my dad's greeting to them. My dad said to them, Why do you come here seeing that you hate me so much and you sent me away? And then they went into the tent. And I was thinking, this is not a good way to start a talk. It doesn't matter how much hospitality you show. It seems like this is going to turn out bad. And my heart and my head started racing. I thought we were going to end up in a battle for our very lives before the day was over. But the weirdest thing happened. My dad came out and proclaimed a celebration and, and declared a feast. And they had come to terms of peace. And we did. We celebrated. And those men, who could have brought us so much harm, ended up leaving under good conditions instead of bad, under peace instead of war. And then it really started to sink in for me, what my dad had said, to love our neighbors as ourselves. It seemed like that was actually working. I wouldn't have thought... But it seemed like God was honoring that. And so they left, and that very day some servants came back and told us that another well they had been digging had been able to produce water. And it was just kind of nice to see God take care of us in so many ways. I have to tell you that learning to love my neighbor as myself came in handy when I went to live with Laban, my father-in-law. <laughs> And if it hadn't been for the way my dad raised me, that could have turned out really ugly several times. No offense to my wives. All right. But uh, 
I do miss my dad. There was a regret I have, if you would hear me out, involving my dad. You see, that trip to Laban, uh, that was the result of something that happened shortly before. See, my mom came and got me one day. She was all stirred up. Something was going on, and she she told me to go out and get two young lambs, and I was to bring them back, and we were to prepare a meal. And I said, Mom, what is this all about? And she told me. She said, Dad was feeling like he was getting near the end of his days, and quite frankly, he, you know, his eyesight was gone by then. Uh, but this was 43 years before he died, which is kind of interesting. But anyway, my mom overheard him say to my older brother to go out and hunt and get game like he was so good at doing and to prepare a meal like he was so good at doing. And the reason was because he wanted to give the blessing to my brother. My brother being the firstborn, that was natural. Uh, but I got to tell you, I got to admit something here. There's two parts to being the firstborn. One is the blessing and one is the birthright. And I had actually stolen my brother's birthright before this. You see, my brother had gone hunting one day, and he was always bringing back something for everybody to eat, but this particular day, he didn't have anything, and I happened to be out in the field. I was cooking some lentil stew, and when my brother came along, he was hungry. You could tell he was worn out, and then uh, I made a ridiculous offer to him. You know, he asked me for some lentil stew, and I said, you know, with me, I'm always looking to make something on the deal, and so I said, well, you give me your birthright, I'll give you some stew, and he did it. He agreed and I made him swear so that it was official. And he did. He surrendered his birthright to me for a bowl of stew. But I had the birthright, but that, that's just one part of the deal, like I said. The other is the blessing. And Mom was now telling me the plan to get the blessing. And she told me that I was to take this food into Dad, and I was to pretend I was my brother because my dad couldn't see. And I was to go in there, and I was to pretend I was my brother and get the blessing. And I said, Mom, this isn't going to work. My, my voice is different than my brother's. And she said, use a voice that sounds like your brother's. And I said, Mom, he's hairy. What if Dad calls me forward and wants to touch me? And she said, all right, what we'll do is we'll take the lamb's wool and we'll put it on your arms. And I, I said, I don't smell like my brother or anything. And she, she ran to my brother's tent and got some clothes from my brother's tent and put them on me. And then she gave me the food and sent me in. And I stood outside the tent just before I went in. And I thought, I'm going to die for this. But I saw my mom urging me in. So I went through that flap. And I said, I'm here, Dad. And my dad said, who are you? And I said, I'm Esau, your firstborn son. And he said, are you really my son, Esau? And I said, yeah. And he goes, how is it that you got the food so fast? And I said, oh. I said, and to this day I regret saying this, I pulled the holy name of God into the equation, and I said, the Lord your God blessed me. And he said, come near. And I thought, this is it, it's over. And he felt my arms. And he said, the voice is the voice of my son Jacob. But the arms and the smell is my son Esau. And then he... He seemed to be confused, and I, I tried to change something. I said, Dad, why don't you eat? Here's the food. I brought you the food. And he ate it, and he called me forward again. And he called me so close, and he went, I heard, I remember this to this day. He went, and I thought, that's the sound of a man who's about to attack. He's figured it out. He's going to kill me. And then he exhaled. And he says, oh, the smell of my son. 
and I knew I had deceived my dad. And he gave me the blessing, and I got out of there as fast as I could. And my mom took the clothes back to Esau's tent, and I went to my tent, and I was shaking. I was trembling. And then I remember hearing my brother come back to camp. He had a certain joyous sound about him when he came back to camp, having success in the field. And I heard him preparing that meal because he knew he was going to get the blessing, and I could hear the joy. And then he went into the tent, and I remember the commotion. I remember when he came out. I remember him shouting. I remember it was, it was just so horrible to realize I had done this to my dad and I had done this to my brother. And I remember my brother saying, isn't he rightly called Jacob? And he meant it not as the heel grabber. He meant it as the deceiver. And those words have haunted me to this day. So I was, I was trembling and my mom said she had a plan to see about my brother not killing me and sent me to Padanaram with my father's blessing. My father, before I left, called me into his tent again, and I thought I was in for a licking. But he actually gave me another blessing and sent me on my way. I was glad to be able to come home and see my dad before he died. It's been nice to see that my brother has forgiven me as well. And so I thank you for joining us today in this celebration of life for my dad, for Isaac, a great man. And if I could turn it over to our MC. (laughs) So ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to thank you for joining us today for this celebration of life. Haven't we heard good news here today? Haven't we heard great reports? You know, uh, I wish I could take and encapsulate some of the things that we heard today and just, you know, to be able to take it with me. And I suppose if I could encapsulate it somehow, I suppose it would sound something like this. Hear, O people of God, the Lord our God is one. And we also heard that uh, you're to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And I suppose we could also include in that love your neighbor as yourself. And uh, I suppose it would also include uh, these words that I command you today. You should keep in your heart and you should teach them diligently to your children, whether they're sitting in the house or whether they're walking along the path, whether they're going to sleep at night or whether they're rising up the next morning. You know, I, I wish that those words could be written down for us, that we could refer to them often. But until then, um, tell the stories. Make sure to tell the stories to the next generation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that we do have these reports. We do have these words written down that we can refer to often. And we pray that you would give us a hunger and a desire to be in your word, saturated with your word. Help us, Lord, to become more like you each day. As the patriarchs made good choices and bad, We see the same pattern in our lives. We're humbled, but we're also encouraged to see that your will can still be accomplished despite our failings. Be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys have a great I can imagine they would love it. Those of you that don't know me well, I should tell you one more thing. I'm an introvert. I don't like doing this.